Amen. Aren't you thankful for God's love, mercy, and grace? When we sing songs like that, it touches my heart, it moves my soul, it reminds me of what it means to be a Christian. And last week, we remembered what we had been, that we had been those who were foolish, who were disobedient, who were deceived and enslaved, living in in malice and envy and being filled with hate. But we praise God because in His love, in His kindness, in His mercy, in the work of His Holy Spirit and the work of His Son, in His grace, He changed us and transformed us from sinners into saints. And yet, as we look around the world, we wonder at the terrible condition that it is in. I don't know about you, but as I look around the world, I see all kinds of perplexities and problems. I see all kinds of issues that are boiling up. And indeed, I wonder at times whether the moral, spiritual, emotional, and cultural problems that I see can ever be addressed. Is there anything that is going to touch and change lives? And as I look around our community and around our city, I'm touched with the reality of those who are struggling, who are dealing with difficult issues, those who are dealing with the difficult and debilitating issue of alcohol and drug addiction. I understand and know that there are many who are living in unrestrained sexual desires, whether those be expressed in a heterosexual way or a homosexual way. We understand that those desires expressed outside of the bounds of covenant marriage, according to the Bible, are indeed wrong. We see families that are being torn apart by infidelity. These families are being torn apart by infidelity, whether it be physical or emotional or Facebook infidelity even, or maybe even the infidelity of the fact that we have a quote-unquote private issue with pornography. We see our servicemen and women returning from the front lines of battles and we see the war raging within them to deal with the heartaches and hardships of those things that they have seen on our front lines. We see the numbers of suicide ramping up within that that area of service and within our community at large as many people search for hope in the midst of a world that has gone wrong. We live in a city where shootouts in our streets have left children dead in our playgrounds where wrecks caused by drunkenness are leaving parents to mourn on the sides of our streets. We live in the midst of a world where we are dealing with the reality of many children who are sitting inside the in silence and in solitude in their homes dealings, dealing with the issues of sexual Of sexual abuse. We live in a community and in a city where the answer to a crisis pregnancy is to kill the child through abortion. We live in a faltering and fallen world. We live in a place in the midst of a reality where our community, our city, our country, and our world is in the midst of dealing with the, the, the gripping realities of all of these difficult issues. And yet the question comes to the church and the question comes to the Christian, is there anything that can change us and change the reality in which we live? Is there any hope to transform, transform the world that we know? Indeed, Fred Luter, Pastor Fred Luter, who is our new Southern 
Southern Baptist Convention president, the first African-American president to be elected within our convention in the 150 plus years, Fred Luter phrased the question like this last week at the pastor's conference. He asked the question, what is it going to take to change our lives? What is it going to take to change our mindset? What is it going to take to change our society, our country, our culture, our community, and our world? Well, let me ask you the question. The question of the hour, Southern Baptist, is what did it take to change you? Think about that for a second. Because all the issues we see within our community, the reality is those used to be issues that we struggled with at one time. What is the answer? What can change the lives? What can change our community, our city, our culture, our country, and our world? The same thing that changed your heart and the same thing that changed my heart. The gospel of Jesus Christ setting people free from the penalty and from the power of sin. And as we face these challenging issues of our community and our city, the challenging issues of our country and of our world, indeed, what is it that will transform our despair into delight? our hopelessness into hope, and our sorrow into satisfaction. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ and that alone that will save us and set us free. That's the message. Pastor Fred said it this way, I have no doubt in my mind that if change, real change, is going to happen in our lives, in our communities, and in our world, it must start with the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For this is the power that we proclaim, church. This is the power we proclaim, Christian. This is the power that we proclaim, culture. That not that you can change yourself, but that God can work in your heart, in your life, and He can change you, and He can do it through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we have hope in. The power of God's gracious gospel to change the life of a sinner into the life of a saint through salvation. As we come today, let's stand in honor of the reading of this God's holy and inspired word. And let's look together at Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 and see the power that we are to proclaim. The power that we are to proclaim. And it says in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that it reveals the truth of who we are, where we are, and what we are experiencing. Father, it doesn't ignore the realities of our culture, our community, or our country and world. It deals with them in order, and it deals with them in power. And Father, we see that the power to be set free from all of these debilitating things that we have talked about this morning is not the power that is within us, but the power within You. Father, we pray that you would pour out through your Holy Spirit that gospel upon us this morning. Let us be people that love and embrace and live in the gospel, the life-changing, life-transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Set us free so that we might live. And Father, we pray that you would speak now, for your servants are listening. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. 
As we read this passage, we see that we proclaim, we are to proclaim the good news that the gospel is the power of God to save sinners by faith from his judgment and wrath. That the gospel is the power of God. That's how God has chosen to work and to redeem sinners from their sin so that they might be sons and daughters of his kingdom. Indeed, if you read and understand that the main point of this passage is not only the main point of this passage, it is not only the main point of this chapter, it is not only the main point of the book of Romans but this is the main point of the New Testament it is the main point of the Old Testament it's the main point of the Bible story and when we get to the heart of this this is the Christian message and listen to what it has to say that the the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes in it in the gospel of Jesus Christ the righteousness of God is revealed that the just shall live by faith you want an apt summation of this passage of this chapter of this book of the New Testament of the Old Testament of the entirety of the Bible that is just it that in Jesus Christ God is redeeming man so that he might be his son his sons and daughters that we might be a part of his kingdom not because of what we have done but because of his lavish love that he has poured out upon us and so as we read the Bible we would do well to understand the principal interpretive passage of the Bible is one that says the redeeming and transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ comes to those who live by faith. For it is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation for all men. And in the gospel, we understand that we find the righteousness of God revealed and that the just shall live by faith. So we come this morning, that's our goal, is to see those things as we walk through the Scripture. And as we begin, let us begin by understanding our confidence is in God's Gospel. The confidence of the Christian and the confidence of the church is to be in God's Gospel. Paul begins with an urgent plea for the church in Rome, for the Christians in Rome, not to be ashamed of the Gospel. And you and I might be tempted to say, why in the world would he have to say that? Surely nobody's ashamed of the Gospel. Surely Nobody has ever backed down or backed away from sharing the gospel and the powerful implications of it within their personal relationships. Well, listen, obviously it was an issue. And Paul had been tempted at some point to be ashamed. Somebody else may have been tempted at some point to be ashamed because understood, understand the church, the church in Paul's day and the church in our day lives in similar cultures. But the church in Paul's day was living within the Roman culture of power. Personal power and strength where wisdom and wit excelled, uh, raised you to attain high standing within the community. But understand the gospel was not identified with wit and wisdom of this world. The gospel was not identified with personal power and strength. The gospel was identified with a Jewish carpenter who died on a cross as a common criminal. That would have been looked down upon. It would have been chastised. The salvation, the salvation is what the gospel proposes to work in all the, all that believe. Indeed, we understand 
We understand that the Romans had no special appreciation for the Jews and crucifixion was the lowest form of execution that could be given to a criminal. It was humiliating. It was devastating. And so indeed there would have been a question within that culture. The question would have come, why in the world would we believe in a Jewish carpenter for salvation? Why would we trust in this Galilean guy for salvation? See, Rome was a proud city and it had many philosophers and philosophies and the gospel came from Jerusalem, the capital city of one of those lesser nations that Rome had conquered. And so the Christians in that day were not the elite within the community. Most of the Christians of that day would have been the commoners and even the slaves. And so Rome had known so many great guys. Why in the world would we listen to these people who are commoners? Why would we listen to those who are slaves? Why would we pay any attention into a fable about a Jew who had been crucified and supposedly rose on the third day. That was the question. There were attacks against the confidence of the, of the church and a, a, attacks against the confidence of the Christian. But listen to me and listen to me well. In our day, those, those challenges and those attacks still stand. For there are many in our culture that consider themselves too elite and too educated to receive the message of Jesus Christ. There are many in our culture that are trying to bash and to belittle the work, the message of Christianity. We have, we have college professors in our our institutions of quote-unquote higher learning, one of them, Bart Ehrman, there at UNC. Why in the world would you ever send your kid to a university where the New Testament professor says that evangelical Christians are nothing more than narrow-minded bigots? And we pay him to educate our children? Are you kidding me? We have politicians that are beating up and belittling. You remember Jesse Ventura a couple years ago when he said any organized religion is nothing more than a crutch for the weak-minded? They beat us up and they beat us down and they push us down. We are tempted in our business relationships to relegate Jesus to the back back burner, to push him out and to say, well, you know, everything else is okay, but I'm just going to ignore my relationship with Christ for the good of our business. We are tempted in relationships and in relationships with other people, especially romantic relationships. What's one of the things that you're not supposed to discuss in a romantic relationship? Religion. What? Are you kidding me? The most crucial thing in my life I'm not supposed to bring into my relationship with another person? On Facebook, we're told don't say anything that would be controversial, nothing that would be confrontational, nothing that might be conceived as offensive. Let me say this. We must in proclaiming the gospel, say things that will be controversial, will be confrontational, will at times be those items that will be offensive. But listen, we should never excuse ourselves for saying things that are ignorant. 
There's a difference between those because we ought to be those who commit ourselves to 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16, where it says that we are to sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts, being ready to make, to give a defense to everybody who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence, keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. We are to be confident in God. We are to be confident in his gospel in first corinthians chapter 1 verses 18 through 25 paul tells us we're going to be picked on we are going to be mocked he says this for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of god for it is written i will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever i will set aside where is the wise man where is the scribe Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in its wisdom, in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block, to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Listen, the world is going to mock you. It's going to criticize you. It's going to tell you that there is no power in the story of a Galilean, Galilean guy that who, who went to the cross, died and was raised again on the third day. They're going to tell you that that story of that Jewish carpenter has no place in the elite and educated world of our day. But I'm telling you, the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ was ju- is just as powerful in our day as it was in their day. It has changed my heart. It has changed my life. It has changed the, the way that I live each and every moment. And I praise God for it. I have confidence in God. That's why Paul could say in Romans chapter 10, verse 11, that if anyone trusts in him, he will never be put to shame. Once we come to Christ, we have no reason to be ashamed. We have no reason to back down. We have no reason, no valid reason to ever be disappointed in God. For Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. And we see Polycarp echo this in his life when at the age of 86, as he faced either martyrdom for the faith of Jesus Christ or to renounce that faith, he looked and said, For 86 years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who has saved me? I pray that you wouldn't renounce the work and the person of Jesus Christ in the midst of your life because the pressure is pressing in on you. We have confidence and our confidence is in God's gospel. But secondly, let us also see in verse 16 our that our content is God's gospel as well. That our content is God's gospel. That's what we're to proclaim. That's what we're told to carry to the ends of the earth. See, Paul explains that he's not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. And so let us begin by understanding what is the gospel. The gospel is the good news of God's salvation, of God's salvation, uh, 
redeeming unholy man by a perfect life, a substitutionary death, and a glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ, that when we are moved by the Holy Spirit to repent of our sins and place our faith in Jesus Christ, then we too become sons and daughters of the Most High, and we are given eternal life. As we carry that message out, there need to be four elements in our presentation of the gospel. We need to remember as we walk through the gospel to look for these elements so that we make sure that we are sharing that truth in totality with those that we witness to and minister to. The four truths must be God, man, Christ response. God, man, Christ response. The story of the gospel begins with God himself who created by his grace and for his glory a pure and perfect world to have a right relationship with him. He created everything under his commands and he gave us commands by which to live. But you know the second part of that story? Not only did God create us, but then man rebelled against God, didn't he? He chose to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He chose to to do things his own way instead of the way that God told us to. And so he rebelled against the Creator's commands. This caused a problem in that relationship and something had to be done about it. What in the world would God do to redeem, to restore the relationship between holy God and unholy man? He would send Jesus Christ, His own Son, into the world to live a perfect life, die an atoning death, and rise again in glorious victory so that you and I might be counted as sons and daughters of the Most High. He gave His Son as a sacrifice. And now we must come to the response. And the response is for us when we hear that story to make one of two choices, to continue to live like we want to, continue to live in our own way for our own purposes, or we can respond in repenting of our sin and receiving by faith Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. That's the gospel. That's the content of our proclamation. But let us also see that there is power in that proclamation. There is power in the proclamation. In fact, that word power in this text comes from the root word from which we get dynamic, dynamo, or if you've seen J.J. on Good Times, dynamite. You remember him, don't you? That word power tells us that the power is not from ourselves. It is from God. Notice the gospel doesn't bring power. It doesn't point to power. It is the power of God in accomplishing His powerful work of salvation of sinners from their sins. The gospel is the miraculous explosive force that changes a person from being eternally lost to being eternally saved. It is not a power from nature. It is not a power from men. It is the power of God. For God through His Holy Spirit empowers the knowledge of the truth, conviction of the mind and the transformation of the heart and soul into the good hope of eternal life in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is exciting because God does it and not me. So it's not relying upon me as a flawed and failing human being to accomplish. It is relying upon who? God to do that work. The purpose of the gospel is salvation. The purpose of that gospel and that power is salvation. The eternal salvation of men and women. It is salvation whose end result is deliverance from the state of degradation, of danger, of blindness and confusion which sin has brought us into. Indeed, it saves us from guilt and condemnation, from ignorance and error. It saves us from depravity and suffering. Indeed, the gospel brings us complete and everlasting deliverance from all the power and penalty of sin. And 
this salvation is exactly what the gospel proposes to work in all that believe. For Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says that if you believe in your heart Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth that God has raised him from the dead, you what? Will be saved. Not you might be, not you could be, not there's a good chance of it. You will be saved. It proposed, this gospel proposes to, to confer on man a depth and height of blessing which no human philanthropy could ever, ever accomplish, which no earthly institution or power could ever cause. Nothing in this world could set us free from the penalty and power of sin. Nothing in this world could change our dark night into a bright and, bright and shining morning. Nothing in this world could deliver us from the penalty of sin except for the gospel. It is the gospel that saves. It is the gospel that saves lives. It is the gospel that saves souls. It is the gospel that changes you and the gospel that changes me. Indeed, we need to understand that. That the greatest need in our life, listen to me, the greatest need in your life today is not earthly satisfaction and earthly significance. The greatest need in your life and in my life today isn't physical health and well-being. The greatest need in your life, the greatest need in my life, the greatest need in all the lives represented in this room and in all the lives lived throughout the world, the greatest need is salvation from a just and holy God. And that doesn't come from our works. It comes from Him reaching into our place of guilt, our place of pollution, our place of slavery and punishment and bringing us into a state of righteousness, holiness, freedom, fellowship, and everlasting life. Indeed, the gospel is for all men at all times, at all places, for all those who believe, for the Jew first, for the Gentile also. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are, what you've done. God can save your soul. But the gospel indeed has the power to save because it is a gospel that saves without distinction. The qualification for salvation isn't background. It's not educational level. It's not economic standing. It's not the ability, the intellect that you have in and of yourself. It is not because you were born in the right family or in the right place or at the right time. It is because God Himself will deliver you from sin if you will repent and receive Him as Lord. The gospel is what every person must believe to receive eternal life. This is the message that we proclaim in baptism. So we, we rejoice each and every time when somebody identifies with Christ, with his, with his death, burial, and resurrection as a sign of transforming their life. When we say that you are buried with Christ in the likeness of His death and raised again to walk with Him in newness of life. When we come to the Lord's Supper and we partake of these elements and we say that the, the, body, the bread represents the body of Jesus, Jesus Christ that hung on a cross to take your penalty and my penalty for sin so that we might be delivered and set free from the penalty and power of sin in our life. It indeed is the message that we proclaim each and every time we take the gospel into the streets. This is the message that we are to proclaim to all those around us, to the butcher, to the baker, to the candlestick maker, to our friends, to our family, to our foes. It is the message that we are to take into our 
workplaces. It is the message that we are to take to those within our community who are degenerate, depressed, and downtrodden. We are to take the gospel of Jesus Christ not only into our churches, but into our city and into our world. We're to take it to Zambia this week. Praise God that we have some who are going to Zambia. We have others of you who are staying here who have wonderfully supported that mission, who have put your money into sending a mission team to take this gospel to Zambia. Indeed, there are, some, there, there are those of you here who are going to be praying us through, praying that God would powerfully proclaim the message of the gospel, the life-transforming message of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the midst of that time. But understand, you are just as important as those who are going. We must have those who are going and proclaiming the message, those who are staying and sending, those who are staying and praying. We must be a church that sees that every area and aspect of our life is committed to this message of the gospel. Our God saves anyone from anywhere with anything in their past if we will but repent and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and our content is the life-changing, reality-transforming, new identity-giving power of the gospel. Finally this morning, let us be clear how that gospel is received. And I've said it several times, but I want to say it again and make it plain. Our conversion is not by our good works. It's not by what we have done. It is by faith. How do we access God's gospel, our conversion is by faith in God's gospel. We access it through faith. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. What the gospel is revealing, what it is uncovering, what it is making plain to us is that we are not righteous on our own, but God is able to make us righteous by means of believing that Jesus suffered our penalty for sin on the cross of Calvary and that on the third day He rose again. Christ then becomes our righteousness and we are just Justified by His obedience, by His blood, by His death, and by His resurrection and reception back into heaven with a name that is above every other name, the name at which every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As we come today, we are justified in the sight of God by coming into relationship with Jesus Christ as our Lord by faith. Indeed, Fred Luter said these words the other day, and they left a lasting mark. For the gospel of God is the only thing that I know that can penetrate years of sin and save a lost soul, and that's powerful. Is it powerful in your life, in your heart? Have you ever experienced it? Have you understood just how lavish the love God has shown to us is in Jesus Christ? Have you understood what He has done in order to redeem you from your sins and set you free from the penalty of death that you and I deserve? Do you understand that indeed He has done the work so that you and I might be saved? Listen to me. You haven't always been saved and I haven't always been saved. You haven't always been a Christian and 
I haven't always been a Christian. For every Christian somewhere along the way heard this gospel story, heard this message that we're talking about this morning, and they were moved in their heart, stirred in their spirit to turn away from their sin and to turn everything over to Jesus Christ. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit regenerated us. He gave us a new heart, a new life, and a new start. He cleaned us up and made us new. And we were born again. In other words, your life was not transformed by your power, by a spiritual power, by an inner power. It was transformed by the power of God working in you. And the gospel, in the same way it changed you, can change this generation. Let me ask you if you believe that. Do you believe the gospel has the power to change your children? Yes. You believe the gospel has the power to change your grandchildren? You believe that the, the gospel has the power to change that person that works beside you in the office that you really can't stand? Yes. Do you believe that the gospel has the power to change the people you like and the people you don't like just alike, the brother you can't stand, the sister you don't love? Don't you believe that the power of God, the power of the gospel that sets you free from the power and penalty of sin can change them as well? Absolutely we agree. For I am convinced, as Pastor Fred said, my brothers and my sisters, that the gospel can save an alcoholic. The gospel can save a gangbanger. The gospel can save a crack addict. The gospel can save a child abuser. The gospel can save a homosexual. The gospel can save an unfaithful spouse. The gospel can save and change you. And the gospel can change me. And then he said, how do I know it? I know it because I haven't always been a preacher. Indeed, I haven't always been in the pulpit. At one time I was going to hell and enjoying the ride. But one day I heard the gospel and it changed me. And you know what? If you don't have that story and I don't have that story, we don't have a problem with one another. We got a problem with God. And my question to you today is, have you received that story by faith? Have you received him by faith? Think about it. If the gospel of our great God was powerful enough to change you, Powerful enough to change me. It could change anybody from anywhere with anything in their past. Now let me ask you, what do you proclaim in the streets? Clean yourself up and come to church? Or do you proclaim Jesus Christ and His power, resurrection power, living within the person so that you and I might become sons and daughters of the Most High? As we come today... And offer our lives to Christ. I pray that you would make that decision. Let's bow for a word of prayer now. Father, we ask that you would lead us and guide us in this time. Father, that as we celebrate and send out these missionaries from among us. Father, that you would lead, guide, and direct each and every step that we take. Father, that as we uh, come to the close of our service and commission these to proclaim the gospel. Father, you would lead, guide, and direct the conversations that they would have in the days to come so that many might come to know Christ and so that the world might be changed through the power of, Jesus, uh, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Father, those of us who remain in this community, may we constantly be proclaiming that same power, that same work, and that same grace in, in the gospel every day of our lives. Father, may we be faithful witnesses to your transforming work and transforming power in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have made a decision to follow Christ, I want to...